Life Audio. Hello and welcome to Kindness Project. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And we are here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Well, it is almost a cliche at this point to say that the state of leadership in the American church is in crisis. Right? I feel like that's, that's what most podcasts are about these days. Um, crisis. Yeah, but it, it seems like just about every other week we're hearing about some kind of scandal, whether it's an issue of leadership abuse, whether it's an issue of a sexual scandal, a financial scandal, or anything else of the like. And we're also in a crisis of leadership, I feel most people would agree, generally speaking, in our culture. Like if you look at our public officials, uh, whether uh, at a national level or, or wherever else, they're engaged in what seems like this kind of like elaborate theater of vitriol and divisiveness and just overall not being great for society. And so everyone is questioning like how we can change our systems, both in churches and in our society at large, to produce a better leadership culture and a better culture in general. And I feel like we should take care to look at all of those things. But today, what I thought we would do is look at uh, a more fundamental principle that exists even prior to those systems, where if we fail there, then we kind of lose the whole thing. And so this is a lesson that has been true since Bible times. And the Bible is full of stories of leaders, both good leaders and bad leaders and bad leaders who got better and good leaders who got worse. And so I'd love for us today to take a look at one of those stories uh, that we don't often look at. Uh, And in part, the reason I want to look at it is because you, Tamara, have been spending hours and hours this week looking at that story because you're preparing for a message that you're going to give at uh, the church of a friend of ours uh, this coming weekend. Uh, and so I wanted to get it recorded while it's fresh in your brain and before it, you know, once you, you preach it, it kind of leaves your brain in a certain sense. So I thought we should get it down now. And it's the story of the transfer of leadership from King David to King Solomon. And so it's a story of leadership, but really it's a story of life and the way it applies to all of us insofar as life is leadership. Uh, And so we're going to hear from our sponsors here real quick, and then we'll set up the story, and then I'll let you run with it, Tam. What do you think? I think that sounds like a good plan. All right. But look around you, your family, your faith. They're not in the way. They are the way. From the creators of Jesus Revolution comes the incredible true story. It's going to be dangerous and scary and giving up. It's not an option. The story of one family's journey from down under to center stage. Unsung hero of for King and Country film starring Candace Cameron Bure and Terry O'Quinn. In theaters now. Visit unsunghero.movie to learn more. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. And we are back. So this story, just to set up the story of the transfer of leadership from King David to King Solomon, uh, we need to talk a little bit about like what's happening in the state of the world at this point. So we're in the nation of Israel. So we've gotten in the Wayback Machine and we are in the nation of Israel circa, I can't remember exactly what year we are, but... Well, David died in 970 BC, so... It's right around then. Okay, so we're like right around 970 BC. Um, and Israel, it, it prior to that, it was a nation without a king. And if you read the book of Judges, uh, you see all of these stories of these kind of regional leaders who rise up uh, amongst the tribes of Israel. But as Israel looked around to the other nations, they were all led by a king. And so they said, we want a king. And God said, I am your king. And they said, but we want like a like a king with like flesh and bones. And so God says like, you're not going to like that, but all right, I'll give you a king. They wanted to be like the kingdoms around them and the kingdoms around them had a king in place that was 
flesh and bones. I mean, it makes sense to have a kingdom. You you want a king that you there. can see in front of you. Yeah. So yeah. God's like, fine. He sends the prophet Samuel, and they appoint King Saul. And King Saul, he was like a dude who like really looked like a king. Like he was tall, he was handsome, he had a strong jawline, the whole bit. And he he started out pretty strongly, but eventually he he kind of deteriorates, and he doesn't really listen to God. He doesn't really protect the people, and so God ends up rejecting him as the king. And this is where we get the story of David, who is this little young shepherd boy, and Samuel comes and anoints him king. And there's a lot of story that happens there before David becomes the king, but David eventually becomes the king. And while David is king, God gives him this promise that he's going to establish his kingdom forever, that there's always going to be the throne of David. And that was a really significant promise. Uh, It's significant to us theologically because that is the the line of Jesus, and Jesus is our eternal king. But even just in in that moment, it was significant because there, there was no such thing as the peaceful transfer of power back in ancient times like to to transfer one from one king to the other it was like through force it was through blood and fear and a lot of other things typically and so a lot of times dynasties didn't last more than one or maybe two generations right because someone was always trying to overthrow somebody else and a lot of times it was somebody who was related related to you (laughs) or uh, maybe it was someone who wasn't related to you but who was close to you for many years under the previous you know kingdom or or whatever the leadership was before then. And so God gives this promise to David, and everything looks great with David up until a pivotal moment in his life. And everybody knows the story of David and Bathsheba, where David forces himself sexually upon Bathsheba. She gets pregnant. In order to cover it up, he kills her husband, Uriah. And this was kind of an unraveling point in his life where there's a lot of pain and turmoil that that comes uh, as judgment and as consequence of that moment in his life. He suffers militarily after that. There's a famine in the land. Eventually, one of his sons, Absalom, with the hair, he tries to kill him and take over his kingdom. And so as we get down to the end of David's life, uh, he is greatly diminished as a leader. He has you know, his his state is weakened in more ways than one, but God has still made this promise to David that this kingdom is still going to be the, the throne of David. And so as David is an old man and his his sons are, are getting ready for the transfer of power, here's where your story kicks off. Yeah, so in First Kings chapter 1, we begin with poor David being old and feeble and not well. The whole kingdom is aware that he is not doing well. Um, what's interesting is they call him old, but if you compare his age to the rest of um, Old Testament characters, he's really not that old. How he's, old was he? He's around 70. But if you compare that to people who are living over 100, like he's really not as old as other people. In well, I mean, it's not the years so much as the miles, right? Because yeah, I know had... some 70-year-olds who are like spry. And then... I know some other 70-year-olds who were, like, on death's door. Well, that was David. He was unable to keep himself warm. And even when they would cover him up with blankets, he was still, like, freezing. And that was a key indicator that he was not doing well. So his servants decided to come up with a really good plan. They were going to go find a young, beautiful woman. And they were going to see if she could keep him warm. Which, that's a weird story in itself. It is very odd, and unfortunately, there's just not much of a way to get around what was happening. They were thinking what we think they were thinking, and that's the idea that this young, beautiful woman could come in and get the king's blood flowing and bring life back into his bones. Um, And the introduction of her is actually really important later on in the story because she is the last woman um, that was given to him and part of his harem at that point. So that's significant when you think about the culture. Um, But there is this detail that says they did not have sexual relations, which was an indicator that King David was actually really, truly not doing well. 
Right. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. If, there's, there's, if there's any indication, he was a he was a red blooded man, and yeah, yeah. Okay. So moving on. So his son uh, Adonijah, who was the oldest son at the time, decided uh, this was the opportunity for him. This was his opportunity to take the kingdom for himself, and he was going to declare himself as king. And that was his plan, and he carried it out pretty strategically. He made sure he was aligning himself with the right people, getting the right kinds of endorsements. He partnered with Joab, who was a really important military guy at the time. Um, he was in charge of David's military for at like that time. For like decades, right? Right. Yeah. And then he also partnered with Abiathar, which was one of the priests at the time. And so he he made sure he had the military alliance and he also had the religious alliance to bring himself up as the king and the rightful king of the kingdom at that point. And it is there are some interesting details in the story that the Bible gives us that kind of share why Adonijah did these things. And one, it says he was the oldest son. So, of course. Check. He should be next in line for the throne, right? There's not a lot of question around that. Uh, the second one said that he was good looking, which the Bible is, <laughs> it likes to bring that up. But but I think it, there's a reason it's bringing it up here is because he was someone who was liked by the people. He had that appearance of a king, similar to what we were talking about with King Saul. He appeared like a king. And the last point, which is unfortunately a bit of a blow to David, was that it said, basically, Adonijah is an arrogant guy and he's used to getting his way because his dad never told him otherwise. His dad didn't do really well at parenting him and raising him in a way that didn't make him arrogant and self-centered. So here's Adonijah making himself king, aligning himself with the right people, being pretty strategic about it. And he's also the one that it makes the most sense for him to be the next king. But there was another brother who we will talk about in one second. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening, who should call right now? Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. There was another brother. That would be correct. The other brother, his name was Solomon, and he is the son of Bathsheba. And so earlier you were talking about one of the greatest errors in David's reign of um, taking Bathsheba and having, forcing himself really, not just having sexual relations with with her, but he forced himself upon her. Um, And again, we talked about the unraveling of his kingdom after that, but there is this piece of the story where we see that King David had made a promise a promise to Bathsheba to have Solomon be the next king. And obviously Adonijah didn't know anything about that, but Adonijah was going to be aggressive and put himself first. So he did the whole thing. He did the coronation for himself. He did the celebration dinner. He pulled out the elephants. He pulled out the horses. He pulled out the 50 men in front of him. Like he did the whole thing. He did the sacrifices. He was making it very clear in the land that he is now king and he was doing all the right practices and the right ceremonies to um, put himself in place as king. 
Well, Nathan the prophet, who is pretty important in the story of First Samuel, Second Samuel, I mean, he's the prophet throughout the life of David, really. And he gets wind of the fact that Adonijah is declaring himself as king. He goes to Bathsheba and says, hey, are you aware of the fact that Adonijah is now king of the kingdom? Like, does David know about this? Did you know about this? This is not going to go over well for us because we're such great allies to David. And Nathan goes to Bathsheba and says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to King David. You're going to go in first. You're going to bring him up to speed on what's happening in the kingdom. And you're going to remind him of the fact that he promised you Solomon was going to be king. And while you're still talking to him, I'm going to come in and I'm going to kind of be back up to support every detail that you've already shared with him. And then let's hope that he is in a place of sound mind to be able to change what's happening in the kingdom. So that's exactly what happens. Bathsheba goes in. She follows all the customs, you know, she because you can't just walk into the king's chambers, right? So she goes in respectfully, and he kind of is like, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Bathrobe open. The whole yeah, thing, yeah. yeah. I mean, probably. So she goes in. She reminds him of the promise of Solomon being the king. And of course, as she's speaking, here comes uh, the prophet Nathan. And immediately, it says, immediately David put the orders into place and he set up the coronation for Solomon. So he said, put him on my mule. This will be a sign to the people that I, King David, am the one who is declaring Solomon as the king. Which, I mean, if you have the endorsement of the current king to say you're going to be the king like that is very significant. Well, the coronation is happening now for King Solomon while Adonijah is sitting around feasting and is all fat and happy because he thinks he's the king. Uh, He's eating soups and breads and and getting fat and sassy. (laughs) Exactly. So while King Solomon is going through the last bit of his coronation, you have um, Adonijah gets the news that David has declared Solomon as king. Immediately, everyone who was supporting Adonijah, like they just take off. They book it because they're like, well, people are probably coming for us because we've conspired against the kingdom and tried to force this upon the kingdom. And Adonijah immediately runs to the altar and grabs onto the horns. And this is important detail because in Deuteronomy, that was a practice that was put into place. If a man is innocent and someone is out, out for his head, He's allowed to go and grip onto the horns of the altar. And essentially, mercy is supposed to give, be given to him at that time. It is a key indicator, though, that that person is supposed to be innocent because we'll see somebody else later on in the story grab onto the horns of the altar, and he is not an innocent man. Um, so King Solomon comes and says, all right, I will not take your life as long as you prove to be a worthy man. So he tells Adonijah to go home, which... Is kind of a funny line in scripture. Like, like where did they live? I wonder. Home. Did they all live like in a palatial thing together, or they have their own private residences? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. think the story tells us. Like, I'm like, it all right, doesn't. I'll see you at home. Yeah, see you later. Now go home. I'm not going to kill you today. Just go home and rest. It's fine. I'll think about it tomorrow. Though. Yeah. So then we move on into the story. So King Solomon is officially king, and King David is now giving kind of the last words of wisdom and. Here is how you are to be a successful king. And it mirrors a lot of the language of what we see um, when Joshua was leading the people into the promised land of be strong and courageous and follow the ways of the Lord. And so that's what King David is telling Solomon. Hey, if you want to do this and you want to do it right, you need to walk in the ways of the Lord. You need to keep his commands and you need to uh, follow him on all the things that you do. And obviously, that's some pretty sound advice, right? I mean, that's a great way to lead any kind of group of people. That's a great way to live your life in general. But that was especially important when it came to the kings, because throughout First and Second Kings, we see, again, the rise and fall of kings, and we see the successes and the failures. And those who succeed throughout their reign are the ones who were faithful to these commands. And... So then David moves 
out of the spiritual advice and moves into some political strategy advice and basically tells him, hey, it's important for you to take care of the enemies of the kingdom. And essentially what he's saying is Joab, who was the military leader all throughout King David's ruling. And was really like very loyal he to was, David for a very long time. He was, but he also disobeyed. Hmm. So what what Joab ended up doing is he took two innocent lives during peacetime. So within the culture, like you're not just allowed to go and murder during peacetime, right? If it's wartime, you understand that murder happens or taking of a life happens because it's war. Right. Probably not considered murder. It's not considered more murder. Of a, right. A yeah. military killing or a political killing. Right. Murder the- was not the correct word. Thank you. Uh, I, that's important to clarify. So Joab had taken two lives. He had murdered two lives during peacetime. And that was against, one of them was against the knowledge of David. And one of them was actually against the order of David. And one of the people's lives that Joab took was King David's son, Absalom. Right. And that was significant because King David said, hey, I know he's conspiring against me, but like, don't kill him. Just bring him back to me. And Joab didn't do that. He he took the opportunity and he killed Absalom. And so I'm sure that... And who was the other one? Was it Abner? Yes. The other person Abner. that he killed. Abner yes. was the military guy yep. of Saul. Right. And there was a, a personal dispute between Joab and Abner. And Joab ended up chasing Abner down and and killing him. Yeah, and so both of those killings would have appeared to be favorable to the kingdom. But when you really look into them, they were personal matters that Joab was trying to take care of. And there were also personal matters where it was David's express wish that mercy would be shown to both of those men. And he didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So Joab... Obviously, there's also heart issues with Joab, and King David is aware that now that Solomon is going to be king, Joab is going to be a threat to that kingdom. Joab is pretty unruly. He doesn't exactly follow orders. Um, I mean, he's really good at what he does as a military man, but he's not going to be a good person within the kingdom under King Solomon. So basically, (laughs) King David says, hey, you're going to have to take care of this. And he lists... Two other people that he informs King Solomon that he needs to essentially take care of. And the other one was Abiathar the priest uh, because he conspired against um, the kingdom at that time. The final one is a man by the name of Shimei, which that one is a little bit more difficult because it does seem to be a very personal issue between David and Shimei. So while David was fleeing from Absalom... Um, Shimei was like taunting him and cursing him. And he was also a huge supporter of King Saul when the whole David Saul debate was happening as well. Mm. So to summarize the story to, to this point, there's two sons. There is Adonijah, who is the firstborn son. He's got a great name to be the King of Israel. Adonijah literally yeah. means the Lord is right. God. Yep. Um, he has all the credentials, he has all the strategy. He knows how to do all the ceremony. He knows he is he's a very strong leader in very, very many ways. He's a very aggressive leader and forthright, but he's he's good at it. I mean, he can get people to rally behind him. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. The way you stay alive in the ancient world as a, as a leader is you don't die and you're very shrewd. And so you have yeah. the guy who, um, by all accounts, is going to mm-hmm. be a strong yeah. successor to make sure that this kingdom keeps going. And then the other brother is Solomon, who is the son of kind of the, probably the lesser of David's wives. He's little brother. Yes. And um, is not being as proactive in this process. Um, but He's he has not other doing people. anything at all. Yeah, he has so other far. people coming around him. And then what you see is like this strange moving of all of the puzzle pieces mm-hmm. and all the pieces on the board to position so that this younger son can become king. And as you kind of like tell that story, what it, it just kind of, to me, it sounds a lot like a, 
like a hostile takeover where like something you would see like when a, a guy who owns a company is getting older and who's going to take it over from there. There's all this political maneuvering and all that kind of stuff. And so at a, at a first brush, this story, it seems a little bit morally ambiguous. Like what, what is it about Solomon in this mm-hmm. story that would like make him, the, I guess the hero of the story of the, the political intrigue and the, the maneuvering and all of this kind of ancient keeping up with the Kardashians style <laughs> drama. Yeah, it is interesting because you have essentially two sons of David and the promise to David from God was that you will have an heir to the throne. And so why is Solomon the chosen one over Adonijah? Adonijah actually seems like the best choice from a cultural perspective. He he does seem like the kind of king that was that just was in those times. Like you said, they were shrewd, they were aggressive. Like that's just how people ruled at that time. So for us to be removed from that, it, it kind of feels barbaric. Right. In Cause we live in, in an age where we're talking about toxic masculinity and right. all these kinds of things, which are conversations that we need to be having, but Certainly. To, to understand but, where this story is located culturally and historically. Yeah. And so we can't just like mirror judgment back onto these characters and what was happening when uh, this was, indeed the way to survive in that time. Um, so again, you have Adonijah who is is the best option based on the culture, based on the worldview. Like if you were to write all of his qualifications on paper, he is the one who should have been chosen. But it wasn't him. It was Solomon. And what we're really seeing within First Kings chapters 1 through 2 is this character comparison. There's so many similarities and there's even similarities in the types of people that are supporting them, right? They have both have military support. They both have religious support, uh, which those are key indicators of being a king. Those are kind of the two things because there is you always this idea things. in every nation, but especially in the nation of Israel because right. they have the one true God yeah. that – there, there's the king and there's the priest. So there's like the, the ruling military authority and then there's like the religious authority. So when mm-hmm. those things are aligned, bing, bang, boom, you have the power. Yes. So then it goes back to the question, why Solomon over Adonijah? And what we are really seeing happen in these two chapters is that God is not going to pick somebody based on the cultural standards and qualifications. The qualifications are important insofar as you are faithful to the Lord. They are not irrelevant, but if you do not have that faithfulness as your foundation, your qualifications are not important to God. God is going to choose someone who is faithful to him. And we see King Solomon started off really well. He took to heart the advice that his father gave him, and he followed in the ways of the Lord. He followed the commands of the Lord. And It's very likely that the way that Adonijah was going, that was not going to happen. We even see Solomon showing mercy to several people within the first two chapters. Like he has that heart of following in the way of the Lord, even though, yeah, he does need to be strategic. He does need to be wise in, in the role that he's been put in, but he does extend mercy and grace in areas. Unfortunately, people force his hand because... They agree to something and then they don't do it. And he says, okay, if you don't do this, then I'm going to have to kill you. They're like, oh, of course, I'll do it. And then they don't. And he has to kill him. So, but you do see these. It's just how it be sometimes. It is. I mean, it happened with Adonijah. I mean, and really like if you mapped in the ancient world to, uh, to lead and manage, you can't like fire people. Like the only way to fire them basically was death or exile yeah. at, at that point. And so like, even like as a leader, if you're leading an organization, like, there's certain people like mm-hmm. you have to fire them. And so he, in, in the, the schema of his day, like that's essentially what he had to do was express leadership. Right. Um, yeah, no. And that's, that's exactly right. Again, it's, it's hard to take what was happening culturally and the parameters that they were living in and really just do a one-to-one for our culture, because in our culture, we'd say that's absolutely outrageous. Like, why is anyone doing that? Why are we, like cheering that on? Why are we supporting that? And so that's not the purpose of this story though, right? We're not supposed to be doing a one-to-one, but really the the full theme that we're finding in 
chapter one and two and the transfer of power is the kind of person that God's going to choose. And he's going to choose somebody that is faithful to him. And that's something that doesn't only apply to us in form of leadership, but it really should be applying to us in all of our life is we can continue to develop the skills in our life, develop the intellect, get the credentials, get all of the achievements and pray that God continues to use those things. But what he is most concerned about, what he wants to see most in our life is our faithfulness to him. And if we get that as like our footing, if we get that as the ground we stand on, then all of those other things after the achievements, the credentials, the qualifications, he will absolutely use those things to advance his kingdom. But those things are irrelevant if you are not faithful to the Lord. And that's really what we're seeing with the comparison of Adonijah and Solomon and this like hostile takeover scene is God cares more about your faithfulness. And really, it seems like we don't really get that part of the story, but it seems like that's what David saw in Solomon. And then even after this whole crisis is over, that's what he reiterates to him in his advice Right, that like the the way that this kingdom is going to flourish under you is that if you are faithful to the law of the Lord, that what what God has given, that you would you would put that into practice, not only on a personal level, but in the decisions you make as the leader of the kingdom. Yeah, and we see that even after chapter two, we see that uh, chapter two ends and says. Solomon's kingdom was established. So obviously that's a good thing. The author is trying to show us like this was the way that it's supposed to be. And then into chapters three and four, we actually see the flourishing of King Solomon as he is following the advice of David and uh, really living out what David told him to do and what, what God's calling him to do. Right, because if we know anything about the biblical narrative or history in general, because Solomon was a character who was historically significant, even outside the the faith community, um, that he became the greatest king of Israel. He expanded the, the borders of the kingdom. There was uh, an enormous amount of wealth and prosperity that came in under his reign. Uh, he built the temple, the, the first uh, temple of Israel, which is, was magnificent by any measure uh, Solomon was known as a diplomat as a as a wise and, and intelligent person who was influential in his life so really all of these things came to pass that had been promised to David in Solomon where at the beginning it looked like Adonijah would have been the dude but the character that he had to 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 take and to um, move ahead of where Uh, God had called him to, that ultimately probably would have been his demise. Right. And as you talked about King Solomon and all that he did for the kingdom of Israel, unfortunately, King Solomon, he didn't end well. He fell into idolatry and that ended up being his demise, right, to his reign. And we... Right, because he had like 800 wives or something like that. Yeah, he really... He really messed up. (laughs) But what we see him doing and the way that the Bible ends up describing his reign is not that he was this great and faithful king. Like you see the Bible describing David as a king after God's own heart, but you don't see that same description of Solomon because though he started well and he was seeking the Lord and was a man after God's own heart, most of the rest of his reign just kind of was this unraveling, um, even though he was strategic and he achieved a lot, it goes to reinforce this understanding that God doesn't so much care about the qualifications and the achievements. Like if King Solomon would have done all those things and stayed faithful to the Lord, he would have been the best king. Right, because after Solomon's reign, uh, the the border of the kingdom shrunk back and actually it it split in two to where now you had these competing kingdoms in the northern kingdom that which retained the name Israel and then the southern kingdom where David's throne was called Judah and so really the the kingship of David the geographically was cut in half and never regained the influence that it had even under David's time because right. of the ultimate uh falling of Solomon to where he, his faithfulness got him to this place of prestige and success. 
But then kind of at the height of that, he kind of reached a point of decadence. And then Mm -hmm. that was ultimately his downfall because he could continue to move the puzzle pieces. Um, And that was why he had 800 wives was because those were strategic marriages from other kingdoms and other uh, nations around that they could form some kind of military and diplomatic alliance if he married one of the daughters of those kingdoms. And so uh, even hit that, and that was a smart move as a, as an ancient King, right? That's something that you would want to do. But ultimately that, that was part of what led to his demise because um, with those wives came all the gods of those nations that, that came in. Right. Which led him to idolatry. Yeah. Right. So as I'm reading this story, I'm not a King and I'm not a CEO even. Um, so what is in this for me? I mean, we can, we can look at like, you know, church leaders and leaders in general and everything we think everybody else should be doing better and they probably should. But what, what from this story is the takeaway, uh, for us as, as we're looking to, um, lead ourselves, lead our families, be in the workforce or whatever it it might look for us. Yeah. So we see the same truth apply in our lives that applied then in the time of first Kings, I mean, chapters one and two, right? So it, the truth crosses generations, it crosses culture and it, it crosses time essentially because it's a timeless truth of God. And that is your accomplishments and your qualifications are irrelevant if you're not faithful to God. He will use those things in your life, but if you do not remain faithful to him, those things don't matter to him. And similar to what we're seeing in the time of David and Solomon and Adonijah is qualifications were important to that culture. And I think there's absolutely no denying the fact that credentials and qualification and achievements are very much important to the American culture. You can't get away from that. Everyone's always grinding. Everyone's always trying to do multiple things. Everyone's trying to get ahead. Everyone's trying to get as much experience, as much knowledge. I mean, that's why for the longest college has become such an important, just like cultural movement because it, within the college education, you were kind of promised to get to this next level in life. And so if you can continue to build up your qualifications then you're going to get to a place that you want to be. But scripture, as in many ways, is countercultural. And it it says, no, those things don't matter if you're not faithful. You can have all of those things and I'll use them if you're faithful to me. And so when it comes to our daily lives, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm not a leader in any sort of a way that's like leading a church or leading a kingdom or leading a community. But these principles still apply in our lives is... We can all achieve things no matter what that achievement looks like, no matter what those proud moments in life look like. They are irrelevant unless we're faithful to God. What do you think the difference is between like, so Solomon was strategic. He had a team around him, if you will, that was helping him make the right moves to get him into the position that he was. And then you had uh, Adonijah, who on the other side was basically self-centered and taking life by the horns. Um, what, like, how can you know whether you're just being smart in your life to position yourself? Um, whether it's uh, how you present yourself in a job interview or in your workplace, how do you, you know, how much do you push for yourself to get a raise or to get that promotion or to see whatever your your vision is that you think will be helpful move forward? What's the difference between doing that like in a faithful way, you think? And then and then just the other side of that of where you're like Adonijah and you're taking what does not yet belong to you and, and might not rightfully belong to you at all. And, and doing so in a way that, that's really um, working against the grain of your soul? That's a really good question. And sometimes the line might be blurry, right? Sometimes it might seem like the exact same action, but a lot of it does have to do with the intentions of your heart. So you see Adonijah and 
his very aggressive way of declaring himself as king. But the Bible gives us that hint in there that talks about the fact that David never denied him anything. David never said, why are you doing these things? He had this sense of arrogance within him and this sense of entitlement. And Solomon actually didn't try and become king. It was Nathan and Bathsheba who were trying to move that forward. And so I think there is something to the fact that we want to self-declare ourselves as important people. We want to self-declare ourselves as achieved people. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have confidence in our abilities and who we are, but there is something to the people around you speaking that about you versus you speaking that about yourself. Does that make sense? Yeah. I wonder too if it's also like the the nature of what your goals are. Like we live in a culture where everybody's like trying to manifest something. Like I'm I'm going to manifest that I will get a million dollar house. I'm going to manifest that I'm going to be the CEO mm-hmm. of this. And maybe those are I mean the whole manifesting something is I mean in in Christian speak, you declare it, but yeah. it's essentially the same thing um, where that's very much a part of our culture. But maybe the, the goals that you're declaring or manifesting, maybe we we shoot ourselves in the foot when we focus on the wrong thing. Like when we're focused on achieving the title and the prestige and the position as opposed to here's what I know my giftings are. Here's where I think where I think my my lid of potential might be, which might you know be way further than where I am now. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to eventually move into a sphere where I'm influential. Um, that the, but what you're doing is focused on becoming someone who is going to accomplish good, rather than someone who is going to receive prestige. Yes, I think the goal matters. But also if you are so set on that, that you are going to force it into place no matter what. And that's what Adonijah did. He was forcing it. He, he threw his own party. Like that's not how it works. <laughs> like, someone else is doing that for you because you have other people around you who are believing in that thing. And so I know it's not exactly a one-to-one, but there is some aspect of if you're trying to force yourself into a position and other people just aren't seeing how great you are and aren't seeing how qualified you are, then maybe just let it go. First of all, you might not be that great yet. Well, of course, but why are you going to force the hand of other people as well who don't even believe in you? Like, why do you want to be in that space? And I think right now we are definitely in that, yeah, like let's manifest it for ourselves. Let's make this thing happen. But again... We're relying on ourselves, right? And it becomes this very self-focused and self-arrogant way of living that we're trying to just be confident people, but it's taking it to this other level of not relying on God and not relying on what he's going to do and even just the opportunities that he's going to put before you. And I think... I personally have wrestled with this in a lot of ways because, I mean, obviously the leadership gap, the wage gap of men to women is a very real thing, right? And it's even more so within the Christian world. There is still a lot of those um, just difference of thought and very traditional way of doing things. And there have been many of times when I think, well, I'm qualified to be in that space. I'm qualified to sit at that table or I have the credentials. I actually have like better credentials than right, someone else. Who's, like I've gone to school longer and I've received um, a degree that would on all accounts put me at that table. But I'm learning and I think what we're seeing in first Kings 1 and 2 is that you don't have to fight for that. We weren't called to fight for it. Like if we just remain faithful to the Lord, he will put us where we need to be. And if it's in a place of leadership, then it is. And it is not 
my role to fight for people to see that I'm good enough. It's not my role to fight for people to see that I'm qualified enough. Certainly, I can give them that information if the conversation comes out, but I'm not going to walk up and say, I'm far more qualified than this person. Why are you choosing them? And part of that reality is that they say, oh, okay, you're right, fine, you have the job. It's like, do I want that now? Like, right. do I want to be working with those types of people? So there's just, I think there's a lot of layers to it, but essentially we can really boil it down to if you're trying to force yourself into something and trying to prove to people that you are qualified and you have the achievements and you should be in this kind of a place, then maybe it's time to stay, take a step back and see what does it mean to be faithful to the Lord in that moment? Because if you're trying to make that puzzle piece fit into place to prove to other people, like we serve a really powerful God who can who can move those puzzle pieces for you if he sees fit. Yeah, and a lot of times it's it's a more slow and uncertain process than you would enjoy. Or oh, it's want. very slow. Absolutely. And a lot of commentators, when they're talking about Adonijah and Solomon, uh, a lot of them were reflecting back that Adonijah just didn't want to wait on the Lord. Adonijah didn't want to wait to see how was the transfer of power going to happen. He had to make it happen. And... I think there's some truth to that, right? I mean, there's it's good to be assertive, but when you're trying to declare yourself as the new ruler of the kingdom, like yeah, and, maybe that's just arrogant and self-centered and not assertive. And who knows what kind of influential role he could have played in the kingdom as an advisor and a confidant to Solomon instead of being six feet under. Well, and he was six feet under because like he was still so hard-headed. Right. I mean, Solomon had said, okay, I won't kill you if you prove yourself to be worthy. And then after Solomon's king, Adonijah goes to Bathsheba, another like power move, going to his mom and says, hey, Bathsheba, will you ask King Solomon if I can have Abishag, which was the final concubine of King David? And that was significant because if you get to marry the last concubine, then that shows that you're king of the kingdom. And so he's trying to he's trying to over overrun Solomon just like he did before. Yeah, to the bitter end. Yeah, and so he just never he couldn't let it go. He just couldn't let it go and it it ultimately led to his death. Which I'm not saying that's going to happen to us if we don't <laughs> like let something go, but I'm just you like you will <laughs> die. So you'll be six think, feet under. Think twice about asking for that promotion. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> and I don't. There's nothing wrong with asking for promotions and and um, being aware of your value. But there is a line of really checking your heart and is it this achievement that I need for the sake of what? Yeah. Do I not trust that God's going to take care of me? Yeah, and I think, you know, the the distinction you can feel in your own self, because there's definitely been times in my life where I'm like, no, I'm going to go get it. And there's this, um, I guess, hubris and agitation that comes along with that, as opposed to uh, situations in my life where I was just doing my level best to do mm. what I needed to do and to um, c- contribute in the way that I want to contribute in in a in a righteous way. And then I moved into a, a place of more influence than I had before naturally. And then even was like almost surprised that it happened because I wasn't <laughs> yeah. making it happen. Yeah. And God will honor your faithfulness. And I've seen him do that in my own life. And I've, I've been in a place where I've been able to ask for something, you know, thinking, Hey, wait a minute. I think I need to, to be a little bit more forthright in this and just ask, just ask. And of course, I'm going to be polite about it. Of course, I'm going to be uh, understanding of the power structure at play here. But I, there's no harm in asking. And so that's a little bit different than like walking into your boss's office and saying, here are all the reasons why you need to give me a raise. Here are all of my qualifications or here is why you should consider me for this new position or this new promotion. Like that's coming out of a place of arrogance and like just being incredibly aggressive about it. And 
if you're trying to force something, like maybe your heart's not in the right place. And you had talked about like you kind of feel the difference. Um, there did come a time when I was like, I need to start telling people that I have an MDiv. Like people need to know. So that way they like won't just continue to think I don't know anything and they can just talk circles around me when they can't because I am qualified. So you just slip it in. It's like, hey, where do you want to go for lunch? Well, as someone who holds a master of divinity yeah, degree, yeah. I'm I mean, thinking I want sandwiches. So, But when you do stuff like that, at least for me, you like, can you feel, feel it and it. other people can feel it. You feel icky. You're yeah. like, why did you just shoehorn, shoehorn that in? And so when you start getting to that place like you've gone too far <laughs> you're right. starting to be at Anijah at that point and not just someone who understands value and worth so like you said there there is that like feeling that you've you've stepped over the line and I'm going to be very honest and say I've definitely done that and had to reflect back and kind of pray and like Lord is that who I'm supposed to be because that doesn't seem right yeah. And even apart from just like you feeling icky and other people feeling icky about you, is that probably the worst thing that could happen to you is that you would try to punch your way through to a place of authority and that you would actually get it. Because mm. yep, that's yeah. where we see entire hmm. communities just experience so much destruction. Oh, I mean, imagine if Adonijah would have been king. It would have been terrible. Yeah. You're right. And... There is that matter of like, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm going to trust that you're going to do it. Uh, you're going to do something in my life. And maybe it's not this opportunity that's sitting in front of me that I think I deserve, that I think I'm qualified for and I should have it. Um, but being faithful and waiting on the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kainosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. calling my heart. Like I just knew he was my safe place. I hope people don't walk away going, wow, you're really awesome. More than like, wow, Jesus is really interesting and he's really awesome. Everybody on this planet is dealing with some sort of what if. How does that one courageous decision affect the whole world? A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. If you were encouraged by what you just heard, please search Trevor Talks on your favorite podcast platform or lifeaudio.com.